tuned in to FBI Radio 94.5 with me, Deb Marcus, here on Mornings. And we are now in Movies, Movies, Movies. I'm joined in the studio with the wonderful Jen. Hey, Jen, what's happening? How are you? Well, I'm just staring at your beautiful purple hoodie that has, I don't know what it says, but in like bright red font. Is it TNSW? Yeah, yeah. It's these New South Wales. I, I find that it's very enigmatic to try and decipher. And I guess that's the nature of graffiti in a way. I really thought it was UNSW. You know, I feel like if UNSW uh, had recourse to graffiti as like their logo, it would make them maybe a little bit more popular. So maybe that's something that they should listen to as some, you know, general advice. <laughs> I was just thinking about, um, have you seen Star Wars? I actually don't want to admit that I have not. You which have to. Yeah. If you're talking about graffiti like this early, you have to watch Star Wars. Oh, really? Okay. This actually is, I've been recommended that I need to watch it a lot, a lot, a lot. So, you know, this is something that I'm adding on my very urgent mental to-do list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's totally entered the lame stream, though. Like, they were doing... I was just in New York, and I had to flex that really quickly because Andre's still stuck there, and it's his birthday. So, happy birthday to Andre. Oh, my God. Happy birthday. He couldn't be with us because he's going to Scry Ferreira with Macy Rodman right now. So, I feel like the show has like it's kind of, like, manifested this for him. But they were doing a screening of Star Wars at the Lincoln Center outside, and I was like, why doesn't that happen here? Oh, my God, yeah. Why don't we do cool outdoor screenings of films that aren't just, like... As much as I actually loved The Little Mermaid last night, The Little Mermaid, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I feel like that's what we get offered. A hundred percent. There's something about having bats flying in the sky as you're watching a film that just makes it that much more mega. Oh my God. I love, I love a screaming bat. Yeah, <laughs> who doesn't? So today we have lots to discuss on movies, movies, movies. We had some general discussion that we were going to talk about with the current state of cinema and what's been happening mm. in terms of the strikes in the US. Mm-hmm. Like it seems like it's really tense. What's been going on with that? Okay, well, I'm definitely going to talk about Fran Drescher, the nanny, being the SAG-AFTRA union boss and where the actors are at because the writers are already on strike, the actors are going on strike, so I'm going to talk about that a little bit. I'm also going to like give you a recap of where we've been because we're welcoming a new host. We're welcoming Deb Marcus to the mic and I have to recap like what we've been doing and talking about since 2018 and where we've landed at in the state of cinema. 100%. Then we're going to talk about um, And Just Like That and The Idol um, because we just mm. have to talk about TV and maybe... The, the maybe the last two scripted shows you'll see oh my for God. a year. No. And then after that, Priya is interviewing Dave Ma, who won the Sydney Film Festival Short Film Award. Priya's actually in it, so it's kind of a Nepo situation, but we <laughs> forgive it. And um, so Priya's going to come in and introduce that. Oh my God, what an exciting show. So I guess with what we're going to be starting off discussing, you said that we would like to have a bit of a recap with the show since mm-hmm. 2018 and what's been happening since then. Just a little bit of a discussion on the the general context and backstory, just because obviously I'm new. This is my first show for mornings and obviously movies, movies, movies has been such an anchor within the programs here at FBI Radio. And just obviously there's been so much more going on and I'm sure our dear listener would love a little bit more. Do you, this is kind of like a, 
Um, I hope this isn't like a cog in the machine, but could we play the sting again? Of course, of course we could. For the intro? For the whole show. For the whole show? Of course we could. And then I'll dive into a recap. Yeah, perfect. I just love it. Welcome to movies, movies, movies. Okay, so it's 2018. I'm starting with a bit of a Mark Fennell intro, like, imagine you were. Um, Andre and I started the show in January of 2018 before flying off to Sundance to see Savin Levinson's cult flop, Assassination Nation. Where's he now? Nat Randall was performing as the birthday twin Jenna Rollins at Carriage... Carriage works. Margot Robbie was I, Tonya. Rogue Thornton spoke to us in our first week about Sweet Country and reminded us that the best thing to do with a creative block is just to watch your faves again. Meanwhile, the director of Priscilla made a movie starring Kylie Minogue, and she's in a much better place now. Padam. Our first host, Bridie Tanner, endured and encouraged us for the first two years as we interviewed so many of our faves, like Jamie Lou Curtis, Gaspar Noé, and even Brady Corbet talking about now canon Vox Lux, which we had to re-record because at that point, FBI was crumbling and none of the mics worked. Before moving on, she moved on to produce Christina New at Radio National and now speaks daily with the locals in Lismore. And from early 2020, we trauma bonded with Maya Billick, who had the connections with the creator of Blinky Bill and indulged us in as much PC music as we could honestly handle early on a Monday morning. She oversaw us interview Sia about music and read her supportive text from Lena Dunham on air. And, you know, we, we just teased each other every week. The world has changed. Memoria, a film that promised never to be on a streaming service, found its way to SBS On Demand. Anja and I broke up eight or nine times, but kept the show going, and then finally, finally, finally found help. Now the show is a lazy Susan of present and emerging film and TV, and more importantly, stand superstars Bruce Kasaba, Enoch Malengi, Priya Lee, and Gus McGrath. Starting... Ten years after the writer's strike, we're now in another one. We've watched the slippery ways that the industry has been choked, even watching as one of our mentors, Kate Shortland, took on a Marvel movie right at the industry's breaking point. Now Fran Drescher, the nanny, is a sag after union boss in the States. She's negotiated in another two weeks of negotiations in a situation where stars like Meryl and Jennifer and Mark Ruffalo are ready to strike alongside the writers. AI is being wielded as, like, this MacGuffin, as this, like, red herring is the reason, but the real reason is bottom lines and the inability of the industry to prioritise artists, which is why in the last decade most of the breakout auteurs are famous for sequels, remakes, and genre pieces for A24. Okay, earnest, 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 but looking more closer to home, really seeing Sydney Film Festival curate Indiana Jones as the closing night of the festival was the last draw for me. To put it in the great punk Australian filmmaker Anna Bronowski's words, the Australian film industry is a race to the middle and everyone is paid to say no. And if you want to see more than Tim Winton adaptations, earnest anthology films, cop dramas and nano comedies, we need to support artists, show up to innovative works and change our diets. And I think the Ozempic we all need is Bruce Gus, Enoch and Priya. A hundred percent. So I guess there are uh, like some somewhat like scathing aspects to it, but I think which like if you're not involved in the arts or you haven't, you know, had a career in the arts or tried to pursue the arts, it can sometimes seem like, you know, it's a, an overreaction or something like that. But actually there's like this critical underfunding and underprivileging of the arts, which really affects film so much. And if there is this kind of like push to the periphery of prioritizing writers and prioritizing filmmakers, it can really affect the the whole sector and I think that's what we're seeing and like the the way in which that can you know be really tied into our our viewing habits and how we can really challenge that and you know fight against that trend with what we choose to watch and what we choose to support 
as I mean, I'm going to quote Marianne Williamson and say we have to look at the psychic darkness of the last decade and yeah. really tackle it philosophically. And we need the artists and the professionals to do that, not the people with the checks. A hundred percent. I guess that's where we can feel like empowered within this overall abyss of psychic darkness that we exactly. often find ourselves swimming through. So I guess what are some like basic strategies or any like recommendations for, you know, trying to swim through that darkness and, you know, have it as like a really practical resource or way that we can find out which films or I guess, you know, who to support and, and how to support. How does one go about that? Well, I guess if you're a filmmaker or if you're into watching films, show up to your local events and your local filmmakers. And um, I mean, we look at the 70s versus the 60s where like the industry was completely out of touch with what people actually wanted to see. And we see the starting of the Australian film industry because in America there was like places like that were celebrating filmmakers like Francis Ford Coppola and Martin Scorsese and allowing them to make like essentially verite movies of the worlds that they were living in, which then became blockbusters and became genre pieces, but yeah. really started from a place of like looking at their own lives and casting their family members and casting their friends. And Jane Campion talked about that in an interview with us a couple of weeks ago about like how inspiring it is to see films like that. And it's like, we're about to enter that and people should show up to that and like look at the world around them and hope for that's represented it's always so exciting to be like lodged on like the precipice of change and really Mm. be seeing the way that things are starting to sort of get set into motion with that um Mm -hmm. but i think that something that you know i'm curious about and if we're you know going back and winding up and like sort of setting the stage for you know the the general context of cinema what i would love to know is i guess from like a more like philosophical stance what do you see the power of cinema as like in terms of instigating social change i know that's such a huge oh question like a huge huge question or like just expressing the self and like its role within society and i don't mean that from like a utilitarian perspective like i don't want to talk about use Propaganda. or whatever yeah but like because it has sort of become that in a, you know, like not all the time, but mm. in in a way, you know, with a lot of the sequels and prequels and <laughs> all of all of the things going on in that kind of like genre lumping way. Mm. But in terms of like breaking out of the box and kind of creating new thought, creating new emotion and really lodging a space within the arts itself, how would you kind of like... Well, I just think it's the most powerful art form yeah. in terms of experience. And I think like... I could talk about specifics, but I just think, like, I go to theatre and I tune out. I go Mm. to a gallery and I get distracted. But I go to a cinema and I turn on my phone and I fall asleep and I have dreams. And, like, I walk out refreshed. And I think that whatever technology we have, we should be using it as powerfully as possible to give people space to get in touch with themselves and their own thoughts and have their little meditative moment. Definitely. I guess, as Walter Benjamin put it, the oh. film form. I'm not, he came I'm not, up. I knew you were going to do this. I was this. just doing a little quote I love from it. him. Absolutely yeah, it's do like it. the oh film as like the the most ripe for um, technological intervention and really creating a new facet within the arts itself and reinvigorating it because it's the most apt for representing the modern life of all of us in society. So we're going to go to a quick break with a song. This one here is by Aphex Twin. It is Black Box Life Recorder 21F. But don't go anywhere because Spotlight is coming up and we're going to be reviewing some really cool TV show episodes and you're listening to FBI 94.5 Take 2 Right now (laughs) (laughs) Hey, how's it going? Good But uh, I have some concerns about the tour and I need to talk to you about it face to face 
fuck is this? Uh, this is weird. Yeah, this is weird even by music business standards. My girl's in a lot of trouble. You wanted to find a way into my life? You wanted me to hear your artists? I like them. I'm a freak, yeah. Oh my god, I've had so much American coffee this morning. I'm like <laughs> a real filter coffee diet and I'm going a million miles an hour, so I'm going to try and slow down. And talk about the idol. Just like when The Big Little Lies season two was ripped from the hands of Andrea Arnold, people are going to be asking to free the original version of The Idol as directed by the girlfriend experiences Amy Simons for years, I imagine. Uh, word on the American group chat I'm in is that Amy's version was actually just bad and that it's rave more rewarding to imagine that it was the answer to TV. Divine, Joy Randolph, Troy Sivan, Hank Azaria hold down a show that really feels like the void that Anne Heche left. The Weeknd did one of the best Super Bowl performances of all time and Lily Rose Depp. Each episode starts out like the Safdie brothers doing an Altman meets the conversation style industry expose with the characters radio mic'd and running around a mansion like the franchise film clip shot at Michael Jordan's house. And then it gets a little wine and dine music boring by the end, like an app hookup playing NTS with the option of toys. It's kind of like a little bit Breaking Bad boring, but just like Skylar saving the show in that, Rachel Senna in her moral outrage makes me feel the rush and honestly keeps me watching. I'm going to tune in today for the season finale. Are you like engaged at all with the Idol discourse? I actually have not been watching, but I'm very intrigued and I would, you know, I feel like there's so much... Uh, when there is such complex and, you know, tense discourse, it always means it's a byproduct of a fantastic show and it really makes me want to want to tune in way more. Or just, like, lots of money. I feel like Sam <laughs> Levinson's really crushed from the way that, like, Assassination Nation did not get a release anywhere at all and no one oh, supported no. it. And I feel like post-Euphoria, he's like, I cannot flop ever. I need to like, throw everything <laughs> at this. This needs to be a moment. Yeah, sometimes the flop is inevitable, but in this case, I feel like, you know, when there is so much organisation put into it, then it makes the flop less inevitable. I actually watched his first... I don't know if it was the first film, but it was Wizard of Lies with Robert De Niro and um, Michelle Pfeiffer on yeah. the plane. Really good plane movie. Oh. Really ambient, slow, kind of boring. Had a wedding set piece. Oh, perfect. And um, about Bernie Madoff's... Um, like, big hedge fund. What is that Ponzi scheme? Yeah, yeah, yeah the yeah, fun yeah. one. Yeah, it kind of ends with this great shot staring with Robert De Niro staring into the camera going, do you think I'm a sociopath? And then it just, like, slowly fades to black. Oh, so I guess the answer is yes. I mean, the answer is ambiguous. Aren't we all sociopaths uh, at this point? Well, I, I hope I can say no. I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> well, you would say that. Yeah. You know, I like to believe in the basic uh, human empathy, which can, can be adopted. But, you know, sometimes in life we do kind of go that way. And, yeah, we climb yeah. people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. People look more like ladders. Yeah. And and just like that, season two. We're talking so about climbing people. Let's yeah. talk about and just like that. Yeah. Lucky. No matter what life hands you, you can always count on your closest friends to be there. Oh, thank you. My purse was exhausted. We are all blissfully unaware when our lives are about to change. Life is full of surprises. I'm ready to lose my virginity. Excuse me? <laughs> and just like that? And just like that. Um, the Boyhood of TV and just like that is back... Uh, Everyone has a theory about and just like that and the divide between Kim Cattrall and Sarah Jessica Carpark. And here is mine. Kim Cattrall outed their drama on Piers Morgan. Oh my god. 
So for me, that's kind of the end of the story. Uh, that's not restorative justice. That's like a Sydney-style self-serving cancellation. Oh. So moving on, we see the writers a year into this ambient new show trying to redeem um, famous non-binary Che, uh, hu- elevate Seema, humiliate Miranda, objectify Charlotte, and refuse to move those heavy shelves from above Carrie's bed. Literally, Sarah Jessica Park, Park, oh, I always want to say Sarah Jessica Car Park, lying under those yellow monstrosities is more impressive to me than her riding the subway. Like, she's literally doing her own stunts at this point. And just like that is just like that and like that just. And by episode three of season two, the numbing quality fades away into something more potent, like the kind of drunk you get after jet lag, which will do until Gus's least favourite director, Greta Gerwig, is asked to direct the In Just Like That movie where they all participate in a Housewives-style reality TV moment for Andy Cohen. Well, That's you know, it, it is it is just like that and like that just. You and know, like that, that just. <laughs> um, it's like could be the end of scripted TV as we know it. I just, I can't believe that, or I don't want to believe that, or just both of those at once. Yeah. Because if that really is the end of scripted TV, then, mm-hmm. you know, fade to black, dissolve ambiguity. I know. Plaguing everything. When are they going to have Carrie stare at the screen and say, am I a sociopath? You know, I think that's, you know, going to be coming up real soon because I don't know how any other ending could be fabricated I once know. once that's been proposed. Maybe it's actually Miranda. Maybe it's both of them. Maybe They're there's kind ambiguity. They're kind of on destroying Miranda's character. Yeah, they they do seem like that. And I guess you know when there's so many voices all at once, kind of admitting to being a sociopath, it, it does make the character easy to end with, and you know, be like adios. Put it put it to bed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Aw. Well, I hope they don't put it to bed too soon because I'm actually really enjoying it and it's nice to have a little laptop TV show to watch. And, 100%. Um, honestly, I want the writers to keep their jobs. Yeah. I, I want the writers to get paid. That is literally bare minimum. You know, I we want bare minimum to occur in the arts and that is something that I hope is a very widely held general desire. Well, next up we have a writer that's absolutely begging to be paid. It's Dave Ma and Dave Ma is going to be speaking to Priya Lee about what it feels like to win at Sydney Film Festival. Um, I think we're also going to have Bruce in the studio introducing that, so absolutely Mm. stick around and hear some local talent talk about themselves. Yeah, so excited for that. And the track that we have up next, it was a a special track for someone's birthday? Yeah, this is for Andre. Andre's um, having a birthday in New York because his plane is grounded and I'm incredibly jealous. And so, But I also you know, love him deeply and this is a song for him. Okay, happy birthday, Andre, and you're listening to FBI Radio Mornings with me, Deb Marcus, and Jen in the studio for Mornings, Mornings, Mornings. Uh, Mornings, 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 what am I saying? Mornings, Mornings, Mornings! (laughs) (laughs) Movies, movies, movies on Mornings. It's Monday, Monday, Monday. Monday, Monday, Monday. Spotlight. Hey, Bruce. How's it going? Bottom of the morning, Sydney. The voice in your ears is Bruce, and I'm here to tee up a conversation with two of Sydney's most interesting filmmakers who are really hating Sydney at the moment. Uh, We have Priya, the prettiest of the movie movie, movies host, and David Ma, uh, award-winning filmmaker from the Sydney Film Festival this year, with his short film, Dancing Girl. Is it Dancing Girl? Dancing Girl and Balloon Man. So exciting. Can I really inter- quickly interject just because something crossed my mind just of then? Of course. Um, talking about prettiest hosts are um, who I would probably say is the hottest host. Me. Gus McGrath. Gus? Also conceptual screenwriter. 
has a show at Verge Gallery opening Wednesday night, and I'm just true, adding that true. into Spotlight. Mm. Yes. If you want to see some conceptual screenwriting, I guess. Yes. Always. What day is that? What day? Wednesday, the, I want to say, four? Yeah, What's we can. today? Is it the third? We can pop fifth, it in the, fifth, 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 in the fifth. program page for Let's the show. If you head to fbiradio.com forward slash programs, Monday mornings, we'll be able to find the details for that there. Perfect. So, Spotlight, Dave Ma, Priya, and... Yeah, so I'm really excited about this interview, so let's get it started. It's great to be here. I'm very excited for you to be here. Um, talk to me about your film, Balloon Man Dancing Girl. Um, so it's a rom-com uh, drama set in yeah. Chinatown. Uh, it's about um, a young woman who is working at her aunt's uh, steam bun shop. So she's a, a young Chinese woman and... Yeah. Um, yeah, she works at the steam bun shop during the day, um, but she really loves, like, Dance Dance Revolution. That's, mm-hmm. like, her main pastime. Um, and one day she meets a street performer, and he's based on a real guy, um, this Taiwanese man that does, like, a oh. balloon performance act in yeah. Chinatown. And that's and played around by the city. Jonathan? That's or? played by, yep, my yeah. good friend Jonathan Lowe, uh, and the young woman is played by Robin Liu, and... Yeah, one day they meet and they realise that there's like a a kindred spirit out there in the world um, who's, yeah, they're just two like lonely oddballs. Yeah. Um, I love yeah. the classic like meet cute sort of like romantic comedy storyline, which mm. I feel like is overdone but hasn't been done in like a Chinese-Australian filmmaking style. Yeah, 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 totally. It's um, really subtle, sort of like the language barrier. And I want to ask you about you obviously have, you speak Cantonese and you have a Cantonese background, mm-hmm. but the films in Mandarin, mm. what was it like, sort of the writing process of that and also directing actors in Mandarin? Yeah, um, originally I wanted to, to cast like Cantonese speakers or like have a, a yeah. mix of both, sort of like, like Wong Kar Wai, I guess. Um, but. Um, yeah, all the actors I ended up casting um, could only speak Mandarin. Like, Robin speaks Cantonese as well. But, yeah. Um, yeah, it was... I basically just wrote the script in English. Yeah. And then I had a, a friend, Yao Yao, who's also a filmmaker. Um, she translated the scripts and then we gave it to the actors and during rehearsals we just um, tweaked it and made it a bit more conversational. But, like, yeah. Yao Yao did a great job translating um so it wasn't like i can understand a fair bit of mandarin anyway and with cantonese it it really helps so it wasn't too much of a struggle like there wasn't anything being said that i I didn't quite understand and all the actors could speak english so i could just direct them in in english do you feel like there's a sort of like comedy or like nuance to the way they have their conversations conversations in chinese and that it can sometimes get lost in translation. Yeah. Is that hard? Yeah, definitely. Like every 
every Chinese movie I've seen, the translations never, it never quite captures what they're saying, yeah, which exactly. I always get. Like, I, I feel bad for the Western audiences. I'm like, oh, you're missing out on, yeah, particularly like humor and like, yeah. just, um, yeah, like you said, like the nuances of, of yeah. some, like the tone and the, um, uh, I guess like colloquial sayings or like slang just never gets properly translated. And it yeah. is like really difficult. So I, yeah, I took some liberties in the way I translated it back to English to yeah. try to, to make sure it came across. Thanks so much, Priya and David Ma, for that really interesting take on your new film. And if you would like to watch it or you're interested in any of the stuff that you have been listening to today, it will all be posted on the programs page at fbiradio.com forward slash programs. And you can click on mornings, Monday mornings, more precisely with me, Deb Marcus, and you will find everything there. That is bringing us to the end of Movies, 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 but you can tune in next week to hear more glorious movie discussion. This podcast is produced by FBI Radio in Sydney. Find more at fbiradio.com slash podcasts.